0: This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. The English royal family comes in and out of fashion at the movies. Goodness knows there have been any number of portrayals of the big three over the years. Henry VIII, Good Queen Bess I, and the one and only Queen Victoria. And William Shakespeare has made several tidy sums out of the Plantagenet dynasty, particularly Henry V, and for lovers of vintage ham, old crookback Richard III. Thank you. the fascination with the current crop is I think quite a recent thing, possibly because in the past, portraying the reigning monarch could often lead to a stretch in the tower. Not so now, it seems, with plays, films and particularly TV series The Crown bringing fictionalised versions of the Queen, Princess Di, Prince Charles and the rest in ever-increasing numbers. But my own personal favourite Windsor remains this one.
1: (laughs) I don't know, but
0: him. he seems to be saying it rather well. That's a very young version of the Queen's bratty sister, Princess Margaret, setting up the best line in the King's speech. Now, I don't know why Margaret is such a gift part for an actress, but she is.
1: But Margaret and I deserve to celebrate too. Let
0: them go. This might be the only chance she gets. Does the tiara rather give the game away, ma'am? Yes. That's Belle Powley in The Royal Night Out. Kelly MacDonald recently played an older Margaret opposite Mick Jagger in the TV series Urban Myths. But for the full coverage of Princess Margaret's colourful life, you can't go past the crown. It's complicated. No, it's not. It's wicked. And it's cold-hearted. It's cruel. It's entirely in keeping with the ruthlessness I myself have experienced in this family. Helena Bonham Carter was perfect casting for middle-period Margaret, just as Leslie Manville will be for the later version. But the absolute best Princess Margaret ever was the wonderful Vanessa Kirby. At long last, I know who I am and what I represent. And what is that? Women for the modern age. When she stole the show in the first series of The Crown, Vanessa Kirby was all but unknown. Two minutes into her first scene, her agent was beating off offers from everyone from Jason Statham to Tom Cruise. Vanessa Kirby's achievement was changing people's mind about someone they thought they knew. And she pulls off a similar trick in a new Netflix movie. I wanted to stay at home. I wanted the baby to decide when she wanted to come. Pieces of a Woman seems to have set the bar for this year's Best Actress Academy Award. Now, it's possible she won't win for her brilliant performance, but whoever does win knows they'll have to beat Vanessa Kirby. And it's definitely the Oscar hopeful season now. What kind of a father are you? How can you protect those two beautiful daughters when you can't even begin to help one, those poor girls or their families? The Little Things looks on paper like a standard police procedural, but it's elevated by the presence of three Oscar winners in the lead roles, Denzel Washington, Rami Malek and Jared Leto. Meanwhile, to balance the books, this week sees one film with no chance of winning any awards.
1: And now every day is the same. Hey, Jake. I have died 144 times. And every day ends like this. But it doesn't matter. Not when you've lost everything you've loved.
0: The enjoyably dumb boss level wears its influences on its sleeve. Part video game, part groundhog day ripoff. It certainly won't be bothering the Oscar committee this year. Unlike the gripping pieces of a woman. Wait, is it?
1: Is this the wrong way around?
0: That's the right way around. No, it's upside down. No, that's how I did it, it was a choice. It's my (laughs) daughter, wonky, interesting, charming, intelligent. Modest. Modest, humble. Pieces of a Woman is not the sort of film you'd expect to see coming from America. Tonally, it feels more like a festival film from somewhere like Romania or even Iran. In fact, it's the work of a Hungarian team, director Cornel Mondrusso and writer Kata Weber, who I believe adapted it from her stage play. A key figure in getting it made in the States was producer Martin Scorsese. My daughter came into this world... for the time that she did. The location has been changed mostly seamlessly to Boston, where we meet the couple Martha and Sean in the ninth month of Martha's pregnancy. Martha's family is rich, and this rankles with her blue-collar husband, played by Shia LaBeouf, with a chip on both shoulders, who feels undermined by Martha's arrogant mother, played by veteran actor Ellen Burstyn. She did just buy us a car. <laughs> she did. But it was also a statement, too. She bought the car, knowing I could buy the car. She wanted to minimise me. It's not here. Next room. That's why she bought a minivan. She wants to emasculate me. <laughs> That's a good horn. Ooh. The power. And then we're straight into it. The birth of the baby, shot in one exhausting 22-minute shot. It's played as a movie in itself, from the opening moment when the preferred midwife can't make the home birth and sends a replacement, to the joy of the baby finally arriving, and then plot reversals, tragedy, hope and despair.
1: can't bring her back.
0: And it's all driven by a powerhouse performance by Vanessa Kirby. But this is just the start of a film that attempts to give a voice to people who rarely get one. It's the story of someone in an impossible situation with no clear roadmap as to how she's meant to feel, let alone behave.
1: Martha, is that you? How are you? In 60 to 70% of these cases, we rarely find a satisfactory explanation.
0: Counterbalancing the astonishing tour de force of the opening birth scene is another even more technically challenging 20-minute one-shot. It's a complex scene where Martha confronts her entire family in turn. Everyone tries to get her through a difficult day, but nobody has any real idea what she's going through.
1: There is something Certain things, medically, we just don't have answers for.
0: Very sorry for your loss. Thank you. Two other roles are critical here. Martha's mother's way of protecting her daughter is to find someone else to attack. The solution to a tragedy in the States, and I assume in Hungary, is to turn to the law. Someone must be at fault. Someone has to pay. Have you decided to go to the trial? That's the right thing to do, honey. Because you say it is. She has to pay for her incompetence. We need some justice here. No, you need... Meanwhile, husband Sean starts to feel he's being left out of the narrative. As played by Shia LaBeouf, he tries to get Martha to essentially snap out of it, to allow them to return to the life they used to have. When that's not immediately forthcoming, he starts behaving badly.
1: Why are you trying to disappear my kid?
0: Because we don't have a kid. Now, I can see that a film like Pieces of a Woman is likely to be a hard sell on the back of this rather bald description. But while it's undoubtedly challenging, there's far more to it than simply tracking a mother's misery, particularly the performances of the two mothers.
1: You have to face this. I am facing this. I am facing it! I am facing this!
0: (laughs) Helen Burstyn made her name in the 70s with a string of Oscar-nominated roles, often for Martin Scorsese. She's wonderful here as the mother, trying to shift the blame from her daughter to someone else. And the astonishing Vanessa Kirby plays Martha as someone who's tried all her life to make her own decisions and now has to live with the consequences.
1: You know what? You... You're ashamed. You're so ashamed of me. You're ashamed because I failed. Oh, what a disgrace! Oh, what a disgrace! I failed!
0: Pieces of a Woman reaches its satisfying climax and then brilliantly goes a little further. There's a twist to remind us that while a story can end, there are no full stops in life. I know the film seems a daunting prospect, but it really is worth it, if only as a reminder of what great cinema can achieve.
1: Who cares about what they think? This is about me. This is about my
0: life. This is me. Now, if there's one genre I'm not a huge fan of, it's the unresolved murder mystery. OK, sometimes they're based on real-life, unsolved cases like Jack the Ripper or The Zodiac Killer, but that's no excuse. It's a movie. You've put us through two hours of violence and frustration. Now, point out the bad guy.
1: You know him, am not you? Then you have that one little feeling
0: but you waved it away. I'm not so hardcore that I demand the bad guy immediately be killed or even thrown in the slammer. The killer may walk free like James Bond or the talented Mr Ripley, just so long as I see him doing it. Which brings me to a thriller with pretensions called The Little Things.
1: You should have listened to that one little feeling. Just like I'm listening to you now. You can talk to me.
0: I'm all a friend, you got. I was going to say, stop me if you've heard this one, but we won't get anywhere on this film if I start like that. Deke Deacon, a middle-aged, disillusioned cop, Denzel Washington, is sent back to his old hometown, L.A., where he's roped into a series of intriguing murders.
1: You're not exactly a department favourite. Things probably changed a lot since you left. You Still got to catch him, right? Yeah. Not that much has changed, then, huh?
0: These murders seem strangely similar to a case a few years back, the unsolved murders that led to Deke losing his family, his home, quitting his job, and generally turning him into a middle-aged, disillusioned cop. Blah, blah, blah.
1: I can assure you all we are taking a 24-7, all-hands-on-deck approach to these cases. He a shark. If he stops, he dies. He likes to drive. Probably has a decent car. Maybe two. High mileage.
0: In charge of the case of the recent murders is a clean-cut young hotshot cop called Jimmy. I have to say, there's no actor in Hollywood less likely to play someone called Jimmy than Rami Malek, who tends to play exotic roles like Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. What do you want?
1: I want to nail the bastard. For who? For all of the girls he killed. I want to nail the bastard, too. Difference is, I'm doing it for me.
0: Jimmy and Deke go at it like cat and dog, you'll be unsurprised to learn. In fact, Deke is all for going home. But there's something about this case, I don't know, something that nags at him. We know this because he keeps slipping into flashbacks of the previous murders, looking for clues. <laughs> Cause a death, multiple stab wounds. That's what I'm putting down. And as the film progresses, the clues, what Deke calls the little things, seem to mount up satisfactorily. But at the same time, Deke's old colleagues try and warn Jimmy off. Deke may get results, but at what cost?
1: Something I gotta know. How's a guy with the best clearance rate in the department work 15 years without a promotion? Maybe I didn't go to the right church.
0: When I look in your eyes, what I see, it ain't good. Is there a reason for Deke resisting promotion? Are we missing a vital clue here? One of those tricky little things? Are we getting any closer to finding the bad guy? You must really like my car. I do. How's the truck space? And at last, there he is, or is he? His name is sinister enough, Albert Sparma, a blend of Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo and Son of Sam, maybe. To add further suspicion, he's played by the always creepy Jared Leto. Trezzy's?
1: Oh, yeah. Is it the part where I start feeling like it's a trap? Go on, take a look. You know you want to.
0: Now, I should come clean here and admit I'm not a big fan of the acting styles of any of the leads, Academy Awards or not. Jared Leto, Rami Malek and Denzel Washington are all enthusiastic proponents of the look-at-me acting style of performance. All three are capable of good work, but only if they have a director who's prepared to keep them on the straight and narrow.
1: He knew all the details, but he wasn't within 10 miles of the killing.
0: Why is that? Why is that? Well, that's not writer-director John Lee Hancock. Still, that's not my beef. Some of the greatest cop movies ever have featured actors chewing the scenery. Al Pacino, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe and the rest... But when we hit the home stretch, I want to stop scratching my head, wondering if Kaiser Soze did it or didn't do it. How's the trunk space? Maybe director John Lee Hancock and star Denzel Washington wanted us to come out of The Little Things happily arguing over who we think did it. Who isn't fascinated by an unsolved mystery, they may have said. Isn't it so much better to be left dangling at the end? Well, I can answer both of their questions right now, and they're not going to like it.
1: It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things that rip you apart. It's the little things that... get you caught.
0: When the film Groundhog Day came out in 1993, it seemed to be that rare thing, a genuinely original story. In it, you may remember, weatherman Bill Murray found himself repeating the same day over and over again until he got it right. I'm reliving the same day over and over.
1: Bill? Ned Ryerson? Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again?
0: Since then, the basic idea has cropped up in all shapes and sizes. Thriller's like Source Code and Edge of Tomorrow. comedies like Happy Death Day. And now a sort of thriller comedy called Boss Level.
1: Hey, Jake, can I get a large bottle of that Baiju? You? you know what? Make it two large bottles. <laughs> because tomorrow isn't guaranteed. You have no idea.
0: As the name suggests, Boss Level is more a video game idea than an actual film. It's one of those games where you keep going until you get killed and then you start again, attempting to learn from your mistakes. I used to complain that every day felt the same. And now every day is the same. Seriously.
1: Shoes. Pants. Rip them. Flip them. Flip them. Okay, coffee. Anyone?
0: Wherever our hero Roy goes, he runs the risk of being killed by a fearsome enemy, Mister Good Morning Say, or the German Twins, or Mister Kaboom, or the supremely irritating Guanyin. I am Guanyin, and Guanyin has done this. And Roy, it's for you. Roy, can you hear me? We can't explain it right
1: now, but I'm going to need your help. Gemma.
0: Roy, our nominal hero, is played by an actor called Frank Grillo, who, despite dozens of movie appearances, has made no impression on me at all. Anyway, off he goes, looking for his wife and son, getting killed and then being forced to do it again and again.
1: It wasn't always like this. I had a woman once. Look at you. The son I love. Now, a bunch of assholes trying to kill me over and over again.
0: Frank Grillo may be a stranger to me, but his support crew certainly isn't. His wife is played by Naomi Watts, no less, while the sinister bad guy is played by Mel Gibson. Perhaps they both owed director Joe Carnahan a favour.
1: They have an army. All I have is time.
0: As Carnahan continues to weave his tale, I found myself increasingly fascinated by star Frank Grillo. Generally, if you don't know a star of an action movie like Boss Level, you assume he must be a sports figure, martial arts maybe, or perhaps he's an exciting new stand-up comedy talent.
1: I can do this all day,
0: neither of these seem to be the case with Frank. While he tackles the physical stunts with enthusiasm, he clearly doesn't do this for a living. Even pushing 60, Michelle Yeoh has no difficulty wiping the floor with him.
1: I need to learn how to fight with a sword.
0: I would only have a day.
1: I think we can get a lot done in a day.
0: Someone's been the busiest
1: little beaver.
0: And while Frank certainly gives those wisecracks everything he's got, that's not saying a lot. Comedy, like martial arts, is not his forte either. So that leaves acting chops or possibly being no trouble on the set. Either way, is there any way to get the plot past the 150th level?
1: I don't know how this is possible. But
0: I keep repeating the same day. Time to confront sinister Colonel Ventor, played by Mel Gibson. And say what you like about Mel, he very rarely phones it in. He was, after all, the guy who managed to play a badass Santa Claus with a straight face in Fat Man last Christmas.
1: What if the ability to rewrite history was real? What if I can erase our mistakes? This gives me the power of God.
0: So a military wizard setting up a death loop for Roy with a view to, I think I've got this right, altering reality but avoiding the end of the world should be a piece of cake for Mel.
1: I'm starting the death loop because of you. Exactly.
0: Bring them all on. Meanwhile, our hero Roy, I mean, he's in every shot, so we better keep calling him our hero, continues to suffer repeated death syndrome while getting closer to finding his family and saving the world or something.
1: How do I stop this, Jim? It's not about stopping. It's about restarting. Exactly. What the hell? Let's take this to the next level.
0: But Roy, as played by Frank Grillo, doesn't seem to be fussed one way or another. And if he doesn't care, why should we? I know some people can carry off that casual smart aleck thing. The name Ryan Reynolds leaps to mind. But I'm sorry, Frank, you're no Ryan Reynolds either. And as we break out of the death loop of this week's show, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.